All right, everybody, welcome to the Friday night speaker meeting. Uh, my name is Roosevelt, still an alcoholic. Hey, and I'm really excited to uh, introduce our speaker tonight. Um, Miss Sparkles here, uh, pretty much, we, you came in before me or right, or I came in, yeah, we came in about the same time and um, into the program and uh, the smile that she has on her face today has not changed since when we first got sober. So that's the one thing I love about her. Um, and uh, she's just been an inspiration uh, to all of those around us. So um, without, without further ado, uh, Sarah. Come on. All right, hello, I'm Sarah and I'm an alcoholic and drug addict. And um, so I, uh, I have a sobriety date of October 16th of 2013. Um, I came into Bolden in 2011, and so uh, relapse is definitely is part of my story, as well as drugs. So if you don't want to hear about any of that business, I'll let you know and you put your earmuffs on. <laughs> or uh, maybe find a different group. So, um, All right, so yeah, my story has Born and raised here in Austin, I have a mom uh, who is also from here, and my grandparents um, are Texans and met at UT, so we've got a pretty solid, solid grounding here in Austin. I don't have any brothers or sisters, I'm an only child. I have one ex-stepsister who I adored getting to see uh, when I was growing up with my uh, my dad and my stepmom, so I was excited in the summers when I could have a temporary sibling. Um, but yeah, I, I grew up really having to entertain myself. My mom was a single mother. My parents separated and got divorced before I was even one years old, so I did not grow up really knowing my dad. And my mom was definitely a workaholic. She provided for us and was working her butt off in order to keep our house um, until she couldn't afford it. And uh, had to, um, we had to move a couple times and then ended up back in the house that we originally were in, which was huge, <laughs> huge house. Too big, I think, but that's a different thing. So I um, I grew up, I feel like I, I grew up with my mom. She is very young at heart. Uh, she dated lots of, lots of guys in bands. So I grew up on 6th Street here in Austin. Grew up on 6th Street going to bars when she couldn't get a babysitter. And she taught me how to order uh, virgin drinks and uh, how to flirt <laughs> so that I could get free drinks. And I, uh, I just hung out at the bar while she did her thing and her boyfriend's bands all played. So it's a very interesting experience. I never really had any childhood friends that I was close with until um, a girl moved in next door and we, we became best friends. She was about two years older than me and we we hit it off um when i was 
I want to say about nine or so. I was in elementary school. <coughs> My grandparents took our family on a cruise. They owned a travel agency, so we were able to travel quite a bit. And uh, before the meeting, I was stamping some of these seventh tradition envelopes and I, it brought back a memory of me stamping envelopes at my grandparents travel agency and so one of the trips that we went on was a cruise and I had been running around and I had uh, gotten myself nice and thirsty and my grandparents enjoyed cocktails and martinis and uh, my grandfather had a glass of vodka on the rock sitting on the on his um table and I ran into their room and all of a sudden I saw that I was like oh sweet I'm thirsty I need some water and I was just like chugged it thinking that it was water and I'm like about nine years old and all of a sudden like the burn went all the way through my body and I just remember feeling like ooh, what is this warm fuzzy feeling and I felt the dizziness. I felt the weirdness of like that first drink. And I just felt really like warm feeling around my body. And I loved the silliness that I felt after the fact. And yeah, we were on a boat, but I felt like I was super unstable and it, it, it tickled me. So I really, I, uh, did not get sick, um, but I, I remember that very well, very clearly. Uh, fast forward to about middle school. Uh, I was, I think, 13, and my best friend that lived next door to me, her and I were hanging out all the time. Um, she moved when I was, I think in like seventh or eighth grade, she had already been in high school. She moved to live with her dad. And uh, my mom had a birthday party out at this, I believe it might have been a timeshare, some situation where we were constantly going out to Blanco to these cabins. And she had her, her birthday party there. And I brought my friend, my friend Jackie um, with me. And she introduced me to pot and she had already been smoking pot with her friends and as a high school student and uh so she introduced me to that and at the party I had also my first blackout we started drinking and um not sure exactly what it was probably like cheap beer um I remember waking up on a picnic table next to the house and everybody was partying out back and I'm just like somehow I woke up on this table I'm like all right well I better get up and move about my business (laughs) and it was just a really weird experience and I had no idea how I had got there or what happened but I remember that was my my first blackout um I kept hanging out with Jackie we kept smoking pot we hooked up with, we got this girl's phone number, who was probably like her 30s or 40s maybe, I don't know, she seemed old at the time, but she could have been in her 20s, but we were teenagers, so everybody was old, and we blew up her phone, because she was the one that would hook us up with, with pot, as like kids, 
and thinking of that now, I'm like, who does that? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, this woman became our connect, and um, it just became an obsession. And I found myself uh, in high school trying to feel a part of. Uh, my friend had moved, like I said, she had moved to a different town, and I had really not been able to find any like solid group of friends even though my street was filled with other kids um I just never really felt a part of so in high school I became uh, a joiner I was joining the art club I was joining a dance troupe I joined a health occupations group and uh like my senior year roller derby I got my mom and I into roller derby and I just constantly like needed to feel a part of and my mom got me my driver's license early so that I could just go and do everything that I needed to do so that she could just work and um I I had that little taste of freedom and with that freedom I started venturing out and doing my own thing and um, exploring, like, who I was as a person. And I I came out to my mom as being gay, and I think I was, like, 14 or 15 years old. And I finally had this sense of relief, like, all right, I think this is this is my life (laughs) and I talked about it with um uh, clergy of I I grew up uh, Jewish so I talked about it someone suggested like well why don't you talk to the rabbi see what they have to say about this and like (laughs) okay sure and uh we had a very liberal um congregation and we had a main rabbi and then we had an assistant rabbi and I went to the assistant rabbi who was a woman and she was like all right, that's awesome. And uh, the the Torah says, you know, a man shall not lie with a man as he does with a woman, but doesn't say anything about women. So <laughs> I was like, okay, thanks. And then she suggested that I check out this group called Out Youth here in Austin, which is a uh, nonprofit organization for um, teens to have a support group. And they offered counseling if you needed counseling. And so I found myself like immersed in that group um and I took advantage of going to the counselor because I just so confused as a young gay kid and what I was doing with my life um I never talked about you know my drug use or my alcohol use with the counselor but yet I had so much anxiety and I was depressed and I was just up and down and I just could not feel comfortable in my own skin um so I yet joined another thing so I was at that time president of the art club for three years in high school I was in a Latin dance troupe for three years I absolutely loved dancing and grew up doing all the dance recitals and getting all the costumes and I loved it I loved dancing and then for some reason I thought I also wanted to be a nurse so I joined the health occupation students of America and um I just I was in so many different things and once uh once high school ended um well no I guess I'll take that back a big part of high school 
I got, I found uh, my drug of choice. So I, since I love dancing, I found out about raves and the rave scene, rave community. And my friend was like, oh, you love dancing? Like, we should go to this party. And when I, I didn't realize when she said party, it was this a rave at a warehouse out by where the old airport used to be and uh which is now Mueller um so we would go to these parties and I loved it I felt so good about like just having fun and dancing and then she introduced me to uh ecstasy and uh also cocaine so those were some parts of my life as well so um yeah my friend my friend and I got really into that uh we started drinking we started using very very regularly I was filling up my water bottle with vodka at school and pretending it was water thinking I was so slick and um at lunch the juniors and seniors got to take home lunch or you could go off campus and um we would go back to my house and do uh lines of coke for lunch and then that was my junior year and then she graduated she was a year older than me and uh then I just kept doing it but I I didn't necessarily go home I just would do it in the bathroom at school and it got it got out of control um my mom busted me one time for drinking and getting fucked up in my in my room I had a a girl spend the night and uh she walked in on us uh who knows doing what but we were a big mess and I don't know what happened but she was just like y'all y'all smell like alcohol and I'm not sure what's going on here but she's got to go and you're grounded and like oh shit okay so we reeled it back in um cleaned up for a little bit was able to graduate high school and I decided I needed to get out of town for a little while and try college somewhere else so went down the road to San Antonio <laughs> UT San Antonio and I joined uh, a group there and at UTSA I started uh, experimenting with definitely more drugs I got involved with a feminist organization out there and felt really connected with those girls in in the group. A lot of them were older than me, as is, I think, now a trend in my life. All my friends seem to be older than me. And, um, yeah, I joined this feminist organization because, again, I wanted to feel a little part of, but yet I never really felt a good connection even though I was with all these people all the time I never really felt a part of and I we would have our meetings at this uh lesbian bar in San Antonio and they opened up early and allowed us to come in and host our meetings and then the bar would actually open to the public and I would hang around, even though I was only 18. Like, they didn't check your your ID when they opened so early. They were just like, yeah, come on in, y'all. College students, whatever, have, have at it. And we would just 
hang out and most of them were responsible drinkers and everybody would have a drink and we would talk and have our meetings and um that at that bar I met uh met my ex and like I said I was 18 she was 27 and it wasn't until we tried to go out to another bar um about a month or maybe two months of dating, we tried to go to another bar that she found out I was underage. She, she was like, I can't get in here. And she's like, well, how old are you? <laughs> like, oh, I'm 18. So we ended up going to a lot of house parties and doing lots of drinking, lots of drugging at house parties. Um, I became really good friends with her friend, uh, Omar, and like three of us were super close like three peas in a pod and we found ourselves one night um we took a road trip down to Laredo to visit his family and I think also get some drugs and we crossed the border uh to who I'm not sure what we I'm guessing we were going to a club or something but we had apparently crossed the border and I was passed out in the back seat of the car and on our way back in I had not realized where we were but I just remember getting woken up by border patrol asking me with the flashlight in my face like are you a citizen like yeah yeah, yes of course and it was just crazy stuff like I I had no idea that we had even gone Mexico and hearing him getting woken up in the uh, in the car by the border patrol and I remember we had been partying for a few days and just thinking like when is this gonna stop like I I was not feeling good but yet that was the only way I really felt connected to other people drinking and drugging drinking and drugging um so Needless to say, that pretty much took over my life, and I got kicked out of school because uh, I quit doing the work, and when you're not making any grades, <laughs> they invite you to not come back. <laughs> so I had been put on academic probation, and then did summer school, and was like, I don't, I don't even want to do this. I would rather be partying. So I, yeah, it was official. They were like, all right, you're done with university. Maybe try something else. And I came back home to Austin. Um, and all this whole time while I was in San Antonio, I was coming back fairly regularly. Like once a month we would have roller derby bouts. So I was still like making my way back and forth to Austin, just trying to hold it down. My mom was also in derby. So we skated on the same team together for a while. And, um, so that what felt like was my connection. All right, got some family time, got some skating time, and then back to my party life. And I tried to put on this mask, like, yeah, I have everything together. Everything's good. I'm doing fine. And then when I got kicked out of school, it was like a big wake up call. Um, so moved back to Austin. My, my girlfriend and I both moved here in town, um, my grandparents, man, God bless them, they bought a condo on West Campus, a little one-bedroom condo for me to stay in. I just paid the, the, I paid all the bills, paid the HOA, 
and um, property taxes and things like that. So, like, I technically had no rent, but I just paid all the bills for this this place. And it, I lived there for nine years. And that was an enabling, very much an enabling situation. I'm grateful that I had that place to stay, but I'm not sure if I would have been able to live anywhere else just because all of my money went, eventually went to drinking and drugging. Um, I, went, I came back to Austin. I started going back to ACC, and uh, my girlfriend at the time realized like she had a problem and I was like yeah you do like we got in lots of fights I broke so many phones uh, from our fights like throwing them at the wall throwing them at her like breaking all of our shit both of us just back and forth and when she said that she had a problem I was like yes you go to treatment and so she went to treatment and during that time I realized like oh shit like I tried to come on family weekends to visit and I could not stop I would tell myself, all right, I'm going to stop, stop drinking and stop using so that I can be clean for our visitation. And by the end of her time in there, I was like, I got a problem. I had a problem. And she, uh, she started going to AA, and I was just kind of keeping low-key. And I was her support girlfriend and just hanging out and going to Lambda up north. And um, just going to meetings with her. And then eventually we broke up. And I thought, okay, well, maybe she was the problem. Like, I, I'm i fine. I was just young. I don't, I don't have a problem. Um, I started going to ACC thinking I was going to go back into some sort of medicine career. I wanted to be a nurse because I wanted to help people. I really wanted to help people. Yet... I have a very artistic mind and spirit. So I'm like knocking, like just going back and forth with inside, trying to figure out, all right, do I want to do nursing or do I want to do something artsy? And my pocketbook was telling me, all right, hospital jobs are, are good. So uh, you'll have job security. Um, in that time while I was at ACC, I did, I got a job at a hospital here in town and as a pre-nursing student I was doing just basic secretary stuff at the unit Um, I was the unit secretary technically unit clerk and I did that for about two years Um, and was in and out of trying to figure out like am I getting clean am I not am I getting clean or am I not and I found that uh, in this time, um, I found a girl at school that became like we. She was just a very interesting person, and we became good friends. And then all of a sudden, we became using buddies together. And she um, was using in a way that I had not ever done before. And uh, I told her where I worked, and she was like, "Oh, well." can you hook us up with some, like, clean needles? I'm like, sure, yes, I know where they are located. So that turned into a very, uh, very down, like, fast downward spiral, and the way I started using changed real fast because I was able to, like, get high a lot faster 
um, with uh, IV drugs. And that lasted for quite a few years. Um, I had stolen enough uh, things from the hospital to last a really long time. And then even after I quit, I had made friends with the nurse there who I had somehow conned into me telling her that I needed these for school. And uh, it was it was bad. Um, so, yeah, I got to a point where I had started using by myself. And I would go out to the bars and I would, um, I had a, a, some part-time work downtown. <coughs> I had made friends with a bunch of bartenders downtown when you work in service industry and you like hook each other up with drinks and, and whatnot. So I would go downtown and I would tell myself like, all right, I'm just going to go home and have a shot or two whiskey I'm going to drink club soda and head home. But instead, I would have those drinks. I would see the club drug dealer. I would give him a little thing under the table. He'd pass me my little thing under the table. And then I'm like, all right, now I can really go and party how I want to party by myself at home. Like a winner. So, uh, <laughs> it, it was, it was bad. I had the cutest little dog. I loved him so much. He was just the goofiest looking thing. <laughs> he didn't have any teeth on one side of his mouth. So it was just like goofy, goofy. And I, I, the poor thing, like in the last few years of my using, I just, I would neglect him because I wanted to use and he would like blow my buzz and I would lock him out of the bathroom and he's just like scratching on the door and it, it hurt my heart but yet I could not stop like I didn't I don't have any kids I don't have any brothers and sisters nobody's looking in like asking me where I'm at except for my poor pup and so I I hurt knowing that I was I was neglecting him, little Schroeder. Um, so I I um like I said, I had been going to AA with my ex and during that time a seed was planted. And when a seed is planted it starts also fucking up your buzz and messing with your mm-hmm. your mind. Because in the back of my mind I knew like this is not my life. I cannot keep living like this and I told myself like all right I'm gonna stop I'm I'm done I'm not gonna do this and then all of a sudden I found myself driving to the store like I I was not huge into liquor and so I was not constantly at the liquor store unless I was going to the bar like that's where I got my my drinks um I also conned the pharmacy uh, folks at HB to uh, letting me buy um, needles there, saying pretending that I was diabetic, and I had this system, and I I would go on to autopilot, even though I would not at all want to be there. My body would drive me to the store. I would cry in the parking lot, go inside, get what I needed to get, come back out cry again on the way home and get fucked up and just numb it all out. It was, it was very, very painful time. Um, 
also during this time, I started, uh, I, well, I was ending my roller derby career and I got into pole dancing and I um, found a new friend and she convinced me that uh, I shouldn't do cooking, no more drugs, no more drinking, just pot, like pot, you should just smoke pot and that's, that was her life, she's a big pothead. I was like, all right, yeah, I'll try that. I'll try that. Uh, some people call it marijuana maintenance. Um, so I did that. I didn't do any AA at that time. It was just <laughs> pole dancing and pot. And that was that was our life. And um, worked at some clubs for a while here in town and did that whole stripper thing. And uh, met a new girlfriend. She was pretty much a normie. Started drinking again, and thinking like, "All right, well, she's pretty normal. I can drink with her." And my friend was like, "No, don't drink. Like, don't. No, you should not drink. It's not a good idea." Because she knew when I was drinking, I was also gonna be using, and it was not good. But I was like, "No, it's cool. I, I'm over that. I'm done." And sure enough, things went downhill real fast. Um, that girlfriend and I were together for about two years. The last six months of our, our dating, I got really heavy into using again, heavy into drinking, and I was also preparing for a pole dancing competition in Dallas. And um, I had gotten into uh, the competitive pole dancing scene, so if you didn't know that was a thing, <laughs> it, it sure was. And... Dallas loves their pageantry and their and their competition. So uh, I was planning for this big performance in in Dallas, and um, during that time, uh, my friend, my I had lost touch with my ex, like from my first ex, uh, and but yet my my friend Omar reached out and. He was like, hey, I'm not sure what we were talking about, but somehow he, we got to connecting, and he was like, hey, so I know that you're preparing for a pole competition. Like, would you be interested in performing that routine for a, um, a fundraiser show that I'm doing? And he didn't say what exactly it was, but he was like, we would love to have you at this talent show fundraiser. And I'm like, all right, sure, let me do it. And it was the weekend after the competition. And so I kept giving myself these goals. I've got two months until this event. I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to use. I'm going to clean up my shit. I'm going to work out. I'm going to train all day and keep it clean. Like Next week rolls around. It's Tuesday. I'm getting a weird itch. And I'm like, oh, I'm just going to go have a drink. And then one thing led up to another. And self-sabotage. I blew it. And then a couple weeks would go by again, same thing. I blew it. I gave myself these goals, and I just, I couldn't, I couldn't keep it. And the competition came around. I uh, did not do very well because of drinking and drugging. I sweat my butt off. I was super slippery, and being slippery on a pole is a really bad, a bad combination. So I, I failed miserably. And uh, I thought, okay, well, I've got a chance to do this routine again. And um, turns out this route, this event, 
was called uh, it was called Queer Idol, and it was a fundraiser for the LGBT group um, uh, conference, AA conference. And my friend Omar apparently had been uh, sober for a little while, and I didn't know that. And he had um, he had got back into drag. He had been doing drag when we were using buddies back in the day and then he got back into it in sobriety and um he invited me to be part of this thing and I was like man I feel kind of like a fraud that I'm I'm not sober but yet it started to inspire me like it gave me that little spark of of like okay I see he's out here enjoying his life he's having a great time sober and it um it reminds me of this part in the book about you know our our experience and uh the time in in aa should be like our program is based on attraction rather than promotion and so one of the traditions based on attraction rather than promotion is our public relations policy and all of a sudden i got that attraction i wanted what he had and in in the book it's on 133 it says we're sure that god wants us to be happy joyous and free and i saw that that night a room full of people in the program having the time of their life enjoying themselves and nobody was drinking and i thought like okay i want this and at that event i met uh, a group of people who you know also were dancers and um joined a, a little ended up joining a dance group also at that night uh that same night I um, gave, uh, I saw my, my future wife. <laughs> and I had seen her at, at two other events that I was performing at in prior in the year. But at that event, I decided I was going to give her my phone number. So um, that was in 2011. July 2011, July 17, 2011, I finally admitted that I was powerless over alcohol and that I was done I did not want to drink I was in so much pain I had been hanging out with uh with um my wife now my now wife I had hanging out been hanging out with Pilar for a little while and I finally admitted to her I was like I cannot do this anymore and I need to stop and so um I talked to quite a few people about my thoughts and my feelings about what I was going through and someone suggested that I come here to Bolden and um so this girl um that was a mutual friend of ours brought me here to the noon meeting and I just sat down I had a sigh of relief and I was like okay like this is it this is it I'm doing it I cannot keep living my life like I was living. And I just kept coming back. People in here told me, keep coming back, keep coming back, and don't drink between meetings. And so that was like the very minimum that I I was able to do. I kept coming back, didn't drink between meetings, didn't use during 
meetings or not or between meetings didn't use at meetings or between meetings um and I got into service work and the the group that had put on the uh queer idol uh talent show uh also put on this group uh event called Dragoween and that was quite the experience because I got to be with other sober alcoholics, learning dance routines, putting on a big production, and I loved it. It was all the like glitz and glam and gay business that I could handle. Um, it was it was fun, and that also reminds me of a um, part in the in the big book uh, about um, it says on one thirty two. Uh, we've been speaking to you of serious, sometimes tragic things. We have been dealing with, we we have been dealing with alcohol in its worst aspect. But we aren't a glum not glum lot. If newcomers could see no joy or fun in our existence, they wouldn't want it. We absolutely insist on enjoying life, and I'm so grateful for that type of service work because when you hear service work, people are like, "Oh, clean the coffee," you know, clean up the house or clean the coffee cups after meetings make coffee pick up cigarette butts out back I feel very lucky that my service work included uh dancing with drag queens for a a a convention fundraiser and it was an annual thing and I did that for a few years um so because of sobriety I was able to excel in uh my career as a, a pole dancer and I started a, a business with my friend, and we started teaching pole classes and workshops, and it just got to become a really big thing here in Austin. And we started like the first big pole dancing studio here in town, and um, I started putting work in front of my program and prioritizing work, 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 and I was hosting celebrity pole dancers that would travel and teach workshops around the US. And during that time, I was hosting hosting um, a girl and uh, her assistant. And um, one thing led to another and like we were out, I took them out to Trudy's and the, bar t- the waiter brought us all drinks. And he was like, it's on me, apparently this, this girl was a uh, minor celebrity from like reality TV show, and um, I just knew her from the pole community. But he was like starstruck, brought everybody drinks, and I did not have two thoughts about it. I was like, "All right, cheers, drink." I'm like, "Oh shit, I'm not supposed to be drinking a Mexican martini," but here I am, and I thought about it for a second and thought. I'm just going to lie about it. My my wife, now wife, girlfriend at the time, uh, we had just barely moved in together, like maybe a month. We had been dating for about two years, and we were both sober. And uh, I was like, I'm not going to say anything. She's not going to notice. I'm drink water the rest of the night. And I sat with that. I had that one drink, and I sat on it all night. I got home, and she was like, you smell like smell like alcohol I'm like yeah I'm sorry I someone spilled something on me and I sat on that for a couple days and just ate me alive I called my sponsor and I told her what happened she's like you need to tell on yourself you need to tell 
Pilar. I was like, okay. And I told her. And that was almost the end. We were very, very close and breaking up because I ruined that trust. And thank God that uh, I knew that I did wrong. I got right back into the program with my tail between my legs, came back to Bolden. Everybody welcomed me back with open arms and got right back into the step work. Um, my sponsor let me keep working with her, thank God, and I um, got into more service opportunities. I let my boss know at the Pulse Studio that I need to kind of like tone it down and not host any more people, and she was very respectful. Uh, this is the same person that just wanted me to do marijuana maintenance, but she was happy for me just not to be drinking and drugging and she was very proud of my sobriety, so she was super supportive. Um, but yeah, I got back into the in the program. Um, started, I, I got into some amends. The one big part of my of my program was my spiritual experience. I did not get anything exciting when I did the fourth and fifth step. I felt like crap, which I think a lot of people do. Some people have that their spiritual experience on the fourth and fifth step. But for me, mine was the ninth step, making amends. And once I really got into that and started making amends to friends and family, um, the hardest one on my list was my dad. I did not really have a good relationship with him. I did not know him growing up. It was like middle school, high school that we started getting a little bit closer. Um, elementary school, I like I said, I had a little part-time uh, stepsister who I saw once in the summer and then once at Christmas. And so that relationship was not very good. And there was a time when I was in college at San Antonio and he lived in, in uh, he lived in, um, Canyon Lake outside of San Antonio that he was like, all right, family's all getting together. We're going to take this boat trip. We're going to go on a boat ride on Canyon Lake. Can you come? And I had been up for a couple of days and I made up this dumb lie after he was already on his way to come get me about having girl problems. And I couldn't, couldn't come. And that just, even though it was a small, like little lie, he was super disappointed and it ate on me for years and I ruined that relationship so many times, and that was like the last straw. I was blowing things off. And when I finally got to make amends with my dad, he then opened up about stuff in his life, about how he had failed and why he had left my mom and like why he had to leave Texas when I was little. And he was having his own issues with drugs and alcohol and his own personal demons, and I was just like everything started to make sense and ever since then we've had a an amazing relationship because of that that connection and we're still close today his his new wife is super awesome uh and loves our relationship encourages us to be close and stay together and um i highly recommend getting through your amends. The hardest ones are sometimes the most relieving and most transforming. So don't stop before the miracle happens. And I know I didn't go through like all the steps and how I was working the steps, but it was just uh, quite 
an amazing experience getting through that. And then starting to sponsor people um, is super exciting. Super exciting, taking people through the steps. I just had a girl um, that went through the steps, and I had worked with quite a few people, and then they, unfortunately, some would go out, or they would want to work with someone else, or they moved, or whatever. But I ended up working with someone all through the pandemic, and... She got 18 months sober and then two years. And it's just so exciting to see someone's growth and be able to help them figure out who they are, what they like, become uh, an adult, <laughs> become like a person among persons, a worker among workers, you know, what they say in the book and like how to live a sober life. And I got to see her have fun and work, you know, work through dating as a sober person. And, um, it's, it's just so exciting. I felt like I had a little, like a baby, even though she was older than me. <laughs> like this, this woman is like my, my kid. So I, I loved, loved that, uh, love that part of the, the program. And, um, you know, another part of the amends process that I had that, my sponsor said uh, that I should do is a living amends with my grandparents because sometimes telling people what you've done could be more hurtful than than uh, not. So my amends to my, my grandparents specifically was to show up and be there for them with no expectations because I used to expect things. Like I would expect them to give me money. I expect them to give me food. Let me use their wash and washer dryer. And I had all these things that I wanted to use from them. But now I just show up. I listen to what they have to say. Unfortunately, my, my grandfather has passed. But every every Wednesday now, I have lunch with my grandmother. She loves to talk. And we sit and have lunch she talks for a good hour hour and a half and I just listen and I'm there and I show up and you know I I am enjoying our time together because I know it's not forever and I'm able to have love and tolerance for my mother who is still a growing child (laughs) and I have so much respect for my family and my dad and everyone that I've met in this program. And one thing that I want to end with is um, something that we don't necessarily do in this meeting, but during the pandemic, uh, some friends of, our, of mine in from this room and from another group started our own little AA meeting. Um, and we read the 10th step promise. And with the 10th step promise on page 84, It says, we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol, for by this time sanity will have returned. We will seldom be interested in liquor. If tempted, we recoil from it as from a hot flame. We will react sanely and normally. We will find that this has happened automatically, and we will see that our new attitude towards liquor has been given us without any thought or effort on our part. It just comes. That is the miracle of it. We are not fighting it, neither are we avoiding temptation. We feel as though we have been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. 
We have not even sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed. It does not exist for us. We are neither cocky nor are we afraid. That is our experience. That is how we react so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. And with that, I will say, like, my life today is super full. I absolutely love everything I am doing. I'm still teaching pole, still teaching teaching and performing um, aerials. I have been able to go to a circus school and really continue my education in aerial arts and performing. And, like, part of my job sometimes is pouring champagne upside down. Like, I am able to do fun and exciting things in my life that include alcohol. And I have been given the gifts of this program where it's no big deal. Like, I do not have to worry about drinking anymore. And I'm so grateful for that. But as long as I keep coming back and I keep coming to meetings and stay connected. So that's my story. And uh, thank you all for letting me share.